0: this week on Forward. I felt more and more as I did work around homelessness that it was this highly individualized disaster, this non-shared trauma. Really like everyone just went through an earthquake or a flood or a fire, but no one knows that the other person just went through the same thing. We would never look at each other as like housed people, as a primary identity and yet we've defined an entire group of people by their lack of one physical need, which is the homeless. Given the precarity of you know, 40% of people not knowing where they'd get $400 for an unexpected emergency, it's actually surprising that we don't have more people experiencing homelessness in this country. Like, what's keeping half the country from experiencing homelessness?
1: Hey, everyone. This week on the podcast, I interview an incredible guy named Kevin Adler, who started Miracle Messages, and he wrote a new book called When We Walk By. It's about homelessness. He spent the last 10 years or so reconnecting 800 homeless people to their loved ones and families. Uh, it's uplifting uh, and invigorating. What else is going on this week? There's a guy named Dean Phillips who's running for president that I am having a lot of fun with uh, because most of you know i don't think joe biden is the right choice <laughs> to to run in 24 i think he'd lose to trump uh and the democratic party really should field some better candidates if you want to see what i've been thinking about dean phillips go to andreyang.com slash blog uh or just actually just go to andreyang.com because they they're, they're that, that's where it is Also this week, it looks like the SAG-AFTRA strike is over, thank goodness, and studios lost. Uh, When that happens, you think, wow, couldn't you have just cut this deal weeks or months ago? Uh, But I'm pumped on multiple levels, I have a lot of friends who are striking. Um, Also as a consumer, it'd be nice to have some good stuff to watch as opposed to the crap we're dealing with right now, (laughs) I'm kidding, there's actually some good stuff going on right now um, in in content world, Uh, but we could always use some more, and people need to be able to do their jobs uh, and tell stories. Uh, I thought the midterms were a good sign in in many respects. Um, I think the misread, though, is that this means that Joe Biden is the right choice in 2024. <laughs> I think there's a very big difference between voting for, let's say, um, women's reproductive rights uh, or a state rep in Virginia or even a young governor in Kentucky, than voting for Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden has singular qualities that voters ascribe to him, not all of them positive, shall we say. So uh, excited for you to hear this conversation with Kevin Adler. And if you want to see some of the things that I am thinking about, go to andrewyang.com because I do write that stuff down. Subscribe to the newsletter if you don't already because I send that out at least once a week. And hopefully we will have a real choice in 24 Dean Phillips, Team Dean. Check him out. We're going to have him on the podcast before you know it too. So tune in for that. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep... That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast the founder and CEO of Miracle Messages and the author of the brand new book, When We Walk By, Forgotten Humanity, Broken Systems, and the Role We Can Each Play in Ending Homelessness in America. Kevin Adler. Welcome, Kevin.
0: Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you.
1: Yeah, it's good to see you, too. And congratulations on your work, first and foremost, uh, and this book, which is awesome and, I think, timely. Uh, I, I guess you, it could have been written at any point in the last number of years. It still would have been timely. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not like, oh, homeless people. I mean, you know, obviously it, it's... Uh, um been with us, but I, I will say it seems more pressing now. And you open your book with, I think, a very, very relatable anecdote of you being in the Bay Area and then walking by homeless people and then feeling sort of uncomfortable and then saying, oh, like, what can I do? And then your, your exertion was to smile, was to make eye contact, was to like give them a thumbs up, just to acknowledge their humanity. But it wasn't like you started being uh, um, like uh, an activist and philanthropist in this direction. You started out like most of us.
0: Yeah, it it felt pretty basic. In fact, I, I mean, I didn't set out to be an activist or philanthropist or anything else. I, I just set out to try to be a better person. And you know, having an uncle who was homeless for thirty years, I'd never thought of him as Mark as a homeless man. But when he passed away, I realized that you know the love and compassion and empathy I had for Mark when he wasn't at our you know Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner table did not extend. The people I walk by every day on the streets of San Francisco. So it was as much a path to to build my own capacity to see people on the streets not as you know problems to be solved, but as people to be loved.
1: Yeah. So your uncle passes away, which uh, hurts. Um, you have a, something of an epiphany while visiting his gravesite with your dad, um, and then you wound up actually starting an organization that reconnects homeless people with loved ones uh, which has now resulted in 800 plus uh, people reconnecting with loved ones and in many cases getting off the street so how did that come to pass I mean that's a lot uh, like what happened after you visited your uncle's gravesite um, and this is at this point maybe 10 years ago
0: yeah it's about 10 years ago yeah I, I you know I got I left the gravesite with my dad had a really heartfelt conversation. And um, realized that the intention of kind of having this gravesite for my uncle was was really that uh, we'd have a place to commemorate Mark's life and and have a permanent resting place for this person who never had that in this life. And uh, you know, I got got home and started scrolling through social media and realized that you know I was learning more about my random acquaintances on Facebook and you know Instagram than I was at my own uncle's grave. So I just started thinking, how can we use the storytelling tools that we have access to? to help people like my uncle Mark. Um, you know, I'm a person of faith and uh, I was in church a few weeks later. The pastor had this prompt, who is Jesus? He had to answer that with some kind of art form or creative expression. I'm not an artist. I'm not a musician. Jesus doesn't need me to sing a song. But I was like, well, I've always loved using simple tools to help share our common humanity and kind of unveil what I feel is ever present. And uh, I got this question on my heart that was uh, really struck me it was you know how would how would Jesus use a smartphone? And Maybe Jesus wouldn't of...
1: use a smartphone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but if he were to use it, if he were to yeah. use it, if he were to use it, probably wait, few, which...
0: fewer cat videos and uh, selfies, right?
1: So you started this organization. Um, what like what uh, what came first? The first. A uh, beneficiary or a homeless neighbor that you helped or the organization itself?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the first point was um, I spent a year just listening. I spent a year with 24 individuals experiencing homelessness who volunteered to wear GoPro cameras around their chests. Wow. And narrate their experience of what life is like on the streets. And the premise was, hey, I just walked by you. You're still here. What's it like to be you? Uh, and I watched dozens of hours of pretty heartbreaking footage And, uh, you know, the two things that struck me, Andrew, was uh, first, every time you'd see a kid walk by, the kid would tug on their mom or dad's sleeve, they'd point, they'd look, they'd ask questions, and half the time the parent would would scold them and say, no, that's dangerous, don't do that. And, you know, I'd I'd always think, gosh, those kids probably knew something or know something that we've forgotten as adults. Um, But the second piece that's really apropos to Miracle Message's founding story was in one of the clips I heard someone say, you know, I never realized I was homeless when I lost my housing. Only when I lost my family and friends.
1: Yeah, you you, you uh, open the book with this uh, idea of relational poverty, um, and and you're suggesting that we're relationship poor, and that that kind of goes hand in hand with being homeless.
0: Yeah, I think it's so. Um, it's it, it's such an extreme version of. Low social capital, to use the sociological term, but such a level of relational isolation, brokenness, disconnectedness, that it's almost inconceivable uh, unless you get that up close and personal to it. Um, You know, I, um, I read your book recently, The War on Normal People, and one of the things that you really talk about at length is how many people in the United States right now are one paycheck away from not being able to pay rent. Um, and given the precarity of, you know, forty percent of people not knowing where they get four hundred dollars for an unexpected emergency, uh, it's actually surprising that we don't have more people experiencing homelessness in this country. Like, what's keeping half the country from experiencing homelessness? And what we're finding is family, friends, community, church, synagogue, mosque—like community relationships. And so, if you don't have that, or you've lost that, or it was never quite supportive enough, or it was just so resource depressed to begin with, um, it can be very difficult to get off the streets and stay off the streets if you're, if you're in that situation.
1: Yeah, you refer to this group as the proto-homeless, or maybe someone else did, which I thought was interesting. It's like the could potentially be homeless uh, if, if something breaks the wrong way. Um, so let's try and define the scope of this, how many people are homeless in America at any moment in time?
0: Yeah, at any given night, it's just under, well, it depends on the estimates, but around 600,000 people experience homelessness any given night. Um, But over the course of the year, um, people who may come in and out of homelessness, maybe self-resolve or, you know, are unseen or doubled up, tripled up. So maybe not what we think of by the HUD definition as experiencing homelessness, uh, you know, it's probably closer to about ten times that and and so in the book we estimate about six million people experience homelessness each year
1: Well, wow, that's a lot. So in a country of 330 million, let's call it something like two percent two percent Yeah, one out of 50 might experience homelessness in a given year One interesting thing in your book is you actually list a bunch of celebrities who are homeless at one Moment in time some of them. I knew I was like, oh, yeah, I knew jewel was homeless But, but then, like some of the others I was like, really? Like I uh, like I didn't know Who, who, who surprised started. you? David Letterman surprised me.
0: David Letterman? Yeah.
1: Chris Pratt, I guess there was and then I thought, "Oh wait, there was some episode about him living in a van or something." <laughs> wait, mm-hmm. which uh and and I feel like vehicles are where a lot of folks take shelter. If you live in a vehicle, um like let's say your car, your Toyota Camry, um are you technically homeless?
0: Yes. Yes, you are, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think even within the celebrity circle, if we widen that to folks who are, you know, successful by whatever measures of, you know, monetary fame, power, a lot more people are have experienced homelessness than will will share that they have experienced homelessness. You know, I, I,
1: I, I bet we don't know about some of it. Um, it's totally true. Um, so you start Miracle Messages about ten years ago, and I uh, mm-hmm. and it starts with this footage, hours and hours of. Verite footage from people who are struggling with homelessness. What did you do next?
0: Yeah, so it started out uh, just to give the the quick founding story I basically took a walk down Market Street went up to everyone I saw who was visibly homeless and asked do you have any family or friends you'd like to reconnect to Uh, Met a man named Jeffrey. He said he hadn't seen his family in 22 years Sat down recorded a short video from him to his niece and nephew and his sister and his dad went home that night did a search online, found a Facebook group connected to his hometown, and, uh, you know, posted the video there with a short note. Nice work. Within, <laughs> you know, just the entrepreneur in me, right? Just get things done, right? And within one hour, uh, the video was shared hundreds of times. Made the local news that night. Uh, classmates started commenting, saying, hey, I went to high school with Jeffrey. I work in construction. Does he need a job? You know, I, I work at the congressman's office. Does he need health care in a week that town raised over five thousand dollars to try to bring him home. And in the first twenty minutes of the post his sister got tagged. And uh we got on the phone the next day and she told me that Jeffrey had been a missing person for twelve years. No um, So that was that was the starting point, yeah.
1: You thought, wow, we did a lot of good there. We probably saved this person's life. Uh it's very heartwarming that the town rallied in that way. And so then you thought, wow, like maybe there's another person like Jeffrey.
0: You know, Jeffrey's not the only one, and this shouldn't be happening, right? You want to make an impact in the world, you have to figure out how to make the impact in one person's life first. And so I didn't, I still didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, I felt like a total fraud trying to do this work because for me, it wasn't homelessness that I cared about per se. I cared about homelessness, but it wasn't my driving issue. But it was just my belief in the intrinsic value of each person, interconnectedness of us all, and you know any objective analysis of homelessness living in San Francisco, like circa 2014, 2015, or circa 2023, um, people experiencing homelessness are not seen as you know precious part of our community and valuable or you know connected. So I, I just started talking to people, having conversations, and initially set a goal of reuniting 10 people. Uh, hit the goal, and then just Went to a hundred, hit that goal, and then I set a goal of a million. I've not yeah. hit that goal. Yeah. yeah, I haven't hit that goal yet. <laughs> I haven't hit that goal, but there's there's a lot of need. There's a lot of need, so we're we're over eight hundred now reunions as our first program. So,
1: this podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there who business businesses to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private that's expressvpncom slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. So you have over 800 reunions. Um, I imagine some of these messages have gone unanswered. How many uh, messages do you think you've put out
0: yeah, it, for every, you know, we, we, by the numbers, what we, we kind of estimate. So for every hundred messages that we record, well, first, for every 300, 400 people that we talk to, maybe 100 will want to record a message. Um, and it's, it's not just a video message. There's uh, audio, text, online form, written form. And then we have a hotline, uh, which I actually don't even know my wife's phone number by heart, but I know this phone number. It's uh, 1-800-MISS-YOU. Uh, so trying to be very accessible to our nice neighbors. Yeah. So we got, yeah. And that's all story. How to get, how to get a one 800 phone number in modern age. They, they're, it's a very complicated telephony companies that own them. But anyway, so we have one 800 miss you. So for every 300, 400 people that we offer a service to maybe about a 100 we'll say, yes, I'd like to record a message. Yep. And then of those hundred 50, will be able to find the loved ones. And then half of those, so 25, will be able to help facilitate a reunion. Uh, so, you know, it's it's about a quarter of the people who record a message will end up reuniting. But when we do find the family, um, and that's a big, you know, when, it's not all the time, uh, eight, eight, eight times out of 10, they're excited to reconnect, and, and it's a positive outcome.
1: That's great. Again, uh, restore your faith in human nature. So you've been building this very wholesome, lovely human organization over this last number of years. Uh, And you expanded to include basic income over the last couple of years for folks uh, in tough circumstances.
0: Yeah, we we basically we were doing the reunion services and we heard feedback from the people we were serving consistently saying, hey, I buy this whole relational poverty thing. I'm relationally impoverished, but um, my family is part of the problem, not part of the solution. What are you going to do for me? You know, and and how are you going to help me? And so the starting point for the basic income actually began with us creating a phone buddy program uh, where we invite volunteers. Initially, it was in the Bay Area. Now it's around the world. You know, folks, Chile, Kenya, U.S., Canada, throughout Europe, who have committed 30 minutes a week to have a one-to-one phone call or text message exchange with an unhoused neighbor in the U.S., uh, big brothers, big sisters for our own house neighbors. And it was through those relationships and the feedback we heard as people built trust, built a sense of connectedness, getting to know someone very unlike um, dude, themselves. Dude, I, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm yeah. with these people, too. It's like if you put me on the phone with a homeless person, I'd be like, "Yo, man, I'm just gonna send you 200 bucks." <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, like, like my pep talk might help you somewhat, but let's just skip that. And like, do you have any Venmo or Cash App or something I can use? Um, actually, yeah. let me let me hit that for just a, a brief moment. What proportion of uh, folks in homelessness actually have a phone or a means of being connected that way, or a means of Receiving money if I were just to be like yo, I'm just gonna send you because I they probably can't do do they have uh, those tools
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, You know, I mean within the shelter Population of people who have some kind of form of shelter. It's a much higher percentage I'd say the majority do I mean if you think if God forbid one of us were to experience homelessness What's the last thing you're giving up or the first thing you're wanting to get back in your hands, right? It's some kind of phone um, yeah, and there true. are pro, there are programs like Obama phones and, you know, Lifeline Wireless where you can, by having some kind of federal benefit, be eligible for a free phone, free data plan. Uh, unsheltered uh, homelessness, you know, not only if you, if you may not, you may have a phone, but digital connectivity, paying for a data plan, charging it, um, having it lost, stolen, broken all the time. So it makes it a lot harder to reach that segment of the demographic
1: all right so you start a buddy program and then the buddies are like yo i gotta send this person some money so then you start <laughs> well you money I, transfer. I don't think
0: they frame some of i mean if you're you, we can have you as a buddy and then we could totally do that but uh,
1: it would take you, me about you, 10 seconds to be like yo i gotta send this person some money <laughs> you know?
0: yeah well we've, we've we've had we've had a uh, you know we had folks say that you know they love the person they trust and they need money so that was the starting point um, but we've actually had folks who have declined initially a basic income because they say, I feel like I get so much value already from my friend. Isn't there someone who needs it more than me? Um, and these are folks experiencing homelessness. So it's not you know, to create this like Pollyannish, like it's just relationships. But I do think that <laughs> yeah. the, the friendships are like you know pretty valuable too. so
1: I mean, friendships can keep you alive. It's true. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would say friendships plus two hundred bucks is like a <laughs> yeah. yeah or, or,
0: seven, or we're doing or, or, seven seven fifty a month for a year, right? Yeah. The the initial pilot we did was uh, five hundred a month for six months, and fourteen people got you know that money three thousand dollars paid out over six months, and then within six months, two thirds of the folks who were unhoused at the beginning. We're able to secure housing and, and basically use the money better than we could have used it for them. And and so that was like the, you know, small, but like, wow, there's something here. Let's build on this.
1: So one of the things you must have, have directly experienced, and it does come up in your book, uh, is that in places like New York and San Francisco, we're spending tens of thousands of dollars a year per homeless person. Uh, And thus was homelessness solved. No, no, it's not. It's not true. Like you still go out, you're like, what the heck's going on? And and so uh, there's a ton of money being spent that does not seem to be doing the trick in large part because to your point, it's not going to the human involved or the family involved. It's going to something else. It's going to the org. It's going through an agency and it doesn't get to where you'd like it to go.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things in my book that uh, I, I wanted to make sure was centered was just the level of paternalism in a lot of our service systems, uh, where we assume we know what's better for the person and their family, uh, rather than trusting them as, as we'd probably want to be trusted uh, and invested in. Um, and, and, you know, that basic income is a form of that, but also meeting a person where they're at. You know, if you have 100 people experiencing homelessness you have a hundred stories and contexts and situations and, you know, a mother with a single child escaping a domestic violence situation is very different than someone who has severe mental health issues. Substance abuse issues is very different than someone who, you know, had a a health issue that caused them to not be able to work anymore. And now they're needing some kind of disability or some time to rehab. So I I don't believe there's a, you know, I think there's a role of course for the services we have and, and if, the programs that we have weren't in place. We'd have a lot more people experiencing homelessness, but to call it efficient or effective, I think would be, you know, uh, inaccurate. And so, you know, we're we're trying to meet people where they're at, but not leave them there. In the in the work we do at Miracle Messages. So.
1: Well, it sounds like you're being very uh, euphemistic about some of these programs because I'm clearly, you know, um, more down on them. I mean, you probably interact with them all the live long day, so it's not for you to be like, oh, these things are terrible. But I'll I'll say. Like, I've, I've looked at the numbers and, like, what the hell is going on? Like, we, we spend so much money uh, in ways that are ineffective. And then you go to the org. And, and the tough thing, too, is, like, I've met with the orgs. Uh, I've hung out with the orgs. And the orgs consist generally of good people trying to do positive yeah. work, uh, you know, which is one reason why I sense that you might be like, look, I'm not going to talk smack about um, various folks. So the, but the problem is that, I mean, there are a lot of problems, but, uh, you know, it's like if you're the good org trying to do good work, and then you run into a, like a difficult, thorny situation individual, um, then there are certain limits to what you can and can't do. I mean, you pretty much need to access the folks who are most helpable, I suppose, um, in, yeah. in many ways. Uh, there, there are organizations like Fountain House that, that, that do kind of a hybrid where... Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that organization? It's here in New York. No, no I'm not.
0: Yeah,
1: no, it, it's kind of... It's like a house where, where you show up. It's like kind of... Shelter Plus, Community Plus, it's got like a bunch of services. Um so so they're you know, I'll, I'll, you know mental illness is a, a pretty big theme. Um uh and, and so they, they they do a bunch of things and they're a nonprofit that you know do, does do great work, but still, I mean when you walk around a place like New York or San Francisco, I mean you can't miss the evident yeah. homelessness. Um and then Yeah, you, and
0: I I, I I tried in the book to really a strike a balance between recognizing, identify what I call like the homelessness industrial complex, you know? Yeah. That's the
1: one, that's what I was describing, man. The homelessness yeah,
0: complex. Totally. I mean, success is measured not by, uh, outcomes, but by units of service provided and that outputs versus outcome is a fun, you know, it, it, it's, it leads to the situation we're in where you have siloed service providers, one size fits all. But I think what sometimes gets missed as a nuance in the conversation that's important is like homeless services don't cause homelessness, right? We have to look at the housing situation we're in, the income inequality, criminal justice system, foster care system, where one out of every three kids who age out of the foster care system by the time they're 26 years old will experience homelessness. So that's where I think, you know, we'd have a lot more people experiencing homelessness. There's a lot more efficiencies that needed. And, And I'm not a apologist for the homeless service system. I mean, we literally have built an entire organization on the periphery. We don't work that closely other than like, Hey, come visit. We're happy to work with you. Um, but I do think there's like a broader understanding of homelessness that sometimes gets missed about what causes homelessness. So
1: how much of your work is in San Francisco, uh, versus other environments.
0: Yeah. Most of our, so our team is totally uh, virtual remote around the country. So uh, we have four or five kind of key regions. So Bay area. So we do San Francisco and Oakland with our current uh, randomized control trial of, of the basic income and in the phone buddy program. And then we have Los Angeles County, uh, South Florida. Uh, we have a team member there that works with a lot of great organizations on the ground. And then we are starting to have more uh, student chapters Uh, like UT Austin, we have a bunch of uh, students that will go on their free time to Sunrise Navigation Center, um, Community First Village in Austin, and offer our services, either the phone buddy program or the reunion services. Um, And then we do get inquiries around the country, around our hotline, but those four or five regions are kind of the main ones.
1: Well, congratulations! Uh, you built a, an, an awesome org, and the stories recur throughout the book. Uh, how did the book come about, and, uh, and what are your hopes for the book? Aside from it becoming, because I'm an author, so you know, aside from becoming a bestseller and changing right. the world, like uh, you know, like every author aspires to. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's a very um, timely and important work. I enjoyed it a lot. I learned a lot from it, even though I consider myself fairly with it on a lot of these issues. Um, and But it's clear you wrote the book with a purpose in mind.
0: Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate that. And you know, I, I think it was a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, just like the stories that I tried to lead each chapter with and, and have kind of interspersed, interwoven throughout to, to illuminate a theme. Those stories have just totally transformed my understanding of this issue. And, you know, I've posted on social media, we've had media coverage in the past of our work, but I felt like the context and the broader narrative was missing, you know, two minute soundbite or, you know, post one off. So I think being able to honor these stories, you know, of Elizabeth and, you know, being in her fifties and having colon cancer, losing her job, Uh, as a teacher going through chemotherapy and ending up at a, you know, shelter, like that is forever shaped and shifted my understanding of homelessness. So one was honoring the stories and weaving them together with the broader themes. I think the second reason was, um, you know, my background uh, prior to doing Miracle Messages and my work as a social entrepreneur, um, you know, I, I did graduate work in sociology and my research was on how disasters and shared traumas can act as a catalyst to like bring people together or tear people apart. You know, you go through a flood, an earthquake, a fire, there is this emergence of what, you know, uh, is considered in in sociological terms is like the emergence of the therapeutic community, you know, and it's short lived. It's not lasting, but anyways, um, I felt more and more as I did work around homelessness, that it was this highly individualized disaster, this non-shared trauma. And yet everyone, when we see it, we think of it as this like, you know, private thing. And you almost assume, well, what did you do wrong? You know, this this notions of individualism of like who's to blame. But the more I thought about, I was like, this is just really like everyone just went through an earthquake or a flood or a fire but no one knows that the other person just went through the same thing. Um, And I thought that perhaps if we brought this broader narrative, you know, I I do mention about the disaster element, but I I really focus on other systems that perhaps like will activate our humanity a little bit more than we are right now.
1: Yeah. And, and, and and that is uh, a big theme in the last part of the book. It is about trying to rekindle humanity, which I appreciated uh, Mm -hmm. a great deal uh, so what can people do to help? And I know that's somewhat fraught, given that you run this awesome organization, uh, MiracleMessages.org. Uh, check it out. You, too, can help connect someone uh, with their family uh, and become a buddy, donate. Um, but aside, I mean, not aside from, because what's interesting is, and I, I do appreciate the fact that you open the book by being like, look, guys, like, you know, uh, I am just like you. <laughs> where uh, uh, but then you've had this journey you're on um that has now resulted in uh hundreds probably um thousands of people being helped in various ways mm-hmm. uh what would you ask someone to do in their own lives or it could be just you know go to miraclemessages.org uh send money become a mentor uh buy the book spread the message
0: yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of the things. Uh, we we try to make our services as accessible as possible. So, you know, right now we have a wait list of individuals who are unhoused, who've raised their hand and said, I need a friend to talk to. And we don't have enough volunteers to match them with. So wow. inviting folks to commit, you know, 20 minutes a week, 30 minutes a week, we assign a phone number through dial pad, uh, you know, you can use Google Voice. You don't have to use your device number. There's weekly trainings, there's support calls. So, definitely, if you know, folks want to be a phone buddy and, and being able to be in a relationship, that's great. And, and they can sign up at miraclemessages.org. Awesome. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think more broadly, like this idea that um, we care about this issue, everyone says, you know, this is an issue that matters to them, it's one of the top cited issues in our cities. But I think very few of us can say we know someone who's currently experiencing homelessness in any capacity. And that to me is part of the problem. You know, it's this abstraction. We don't know their names. We don't know their stories at an intimate level. So honestly, just being able to say by the end of the year, hey, what does it take to maybe it's the person you walk by every day uh, who, you know, you've said hi to, but you never taken a moment to cheer their story, going to a local shelter, soup kitchen, doing a phone buddy program. Uh, because I do think transformation can happen through relationships, and in fact, that's one of the only ways I've seen you know, hearts and minds change on this issue. Um, and I think you know the last one is a, it's a the the terms and the language that we use you know matter a great deal. Um, we would never look at each other as like housed people as a primary identity, and yet we've defined an entire group of people by their lack of one physical need, which is the homeless. Uh so I I try to, you know, just be a little bit more uh, you know, circumspect in the language I use, people experiencing homelessness, unhoused neighbors. Um, and it's not to be like overly, you know, bureaucratic, pedantic, like procedural. It's more just making sure we really see someone as someone's son or daughter, brother or sister rather than as like a homeless person, you know, and, and that's not their primary identity. So
1: congratulations, Kevin. This is a very uplifting. Uh, beautiful message. The book is great. Your organization is great. I'm going to make a donation to Miracle Messages. um, MiracleMessages.org to just show that you're doing awesome, incredible work that if people were to heed your message of humanity, we'd be in much better shape, not just on homelessness, but on a lot of other issues.
0: Well, thanks, Andrew, and and thanks for always uh, leading with humanity and all the work you do. I mean, it's it's really a pleasure to get to know you as a friend and to you know be in conversation with you.
1: Right back at you, Kevin. Uh, you're a better person than just about all all, all of us, really. Like, who <laughs> the heck could say they've reunited? Um, you know, eight hundred plus people with their their loved ones. Uh, the founder of Miracle Messages. It's miraclemessages.org. dot org author of When We Walk By, Forgotten Humanity, Broken Systems, and the role we can each play in ending homelessness in America. Check him out. Is there a way that people can follow you personally, Kevin?
0: Yeah, I'm on, I guess, all the social media. Most of it's just Kevin F. Adler. So Instagram, Twitter, Kevin F. Adler. Um, So you can find me there.
1: Excellent. Maybe we can get to your million-person goal, man. Screw it. Let's get these million people. (laughs) I mean, heck. Wait, you know, (laughs) look at look at it. Like, uh, any moment, Let's go for the million.
0: Let's go for the million. Yeah, let's let's make it happen.